Alright recruit, welcome to autopilot training. You've been selected from a promising batch of inflatable people. This would be a larger class if your shipment hadn't been loaded in the same truck with all those thumbtacks, porcupine pelts, and decorative cacti. Rest assured, we will be looking for a new transport company in the future. As it turns out, you're the only one left, so lucky you. That means it's all the more critical that we assess your skills before sending you up in the air. Are you ready to begin, recruit? I can't hear you, recruit. Oh, right. Well, just not if you're ready. Excellent. First, we have to ask some standard questions. Do you have any medical history of the following? Weakened rubber walls or seams, a faulty air valve, a failure to inflate for any reason. No, it doesn't count if the stewardess was able to manually inflate you afterwards. Same goes for unexpected deflation while in action. Okay, it seems like you're physically sound. We still want to check you out for any stray cactus needles or porcupine spines later. I know. Who the hell buys porcupine pelts anyways? It's not like you see people walking around in porcupine hats or coats. We're getting off track. Have you ever flown in a plane before? I know you came here by truck. I know you were just fabricated at a rubber facility about a week ago. These are the standard questions I have to ask and damn it, I'm going to ask them. Hey, look, you insubordinate bastard. Do you want this job or not? Because the way I see it, blow up dolls like you have only one other career choice besides this one. Yeah, that's what I thought. Don't have that stupid smirk on your face now, do you? Oh, wait, you do. I don't care if it is painted on. You know, I don't care for your attitude one bit. Just heat sealed together one week ago and you think you can talk down to a seasoned flight professional. I'm afraid you're through in this program, Buster. No, you had your chance. Mark my words, you'll be working the kink club circuit from now on. So get used to the idea. You're... Oh. There you are, sir. And thank God you've got that last unit with you. Pack this guy up. We've got a flight leaving in 30 that needs an autopilot. Pronto! Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on just a minute there. What makes you think that I'm prepared to send this oversized beach ball on a commercial flight completely untrained, untested, and with a punk-ass attitude to boot? No, I've seen your kind, mister. Unable to hold your air, hanging your inflation tube out in the cockpit, all grabby with the stewardesses. It doesn't matter, sir. The situation warrants that the autopilot is definitely needed for this Transamerica flight to Chicago. Why? What's so dire about this flight that they want to send a completely novice unit up with it? Well, the plane is helmed by a morally bankrupt secret agent from the 1960s and a pro basketball player that isn't witness protection. Neither of them are pilots. The only possible backup on the plane is some young guy you never heard of with a severe fear of flying who will need to be talked through it by the likes of a doctor who only speaks in one-liners, a former commander that hates him, and a ground controller with a whole list of substance abuse problems. Is that all? Also, it may be nothing, but the baggage handlers who loaded the in-flight dinners thought the fish smelled a little funny. God damn it. Well, I guess you're shipping out, cadet. Hey, I saw that. How did you even get that finger up? They're all connected! In a world where the human race has nearly unlimited access to all forms of media, mankind faces its greatest enemy. I've come.
for vengeance. A looming threat. Can you look at that? What is that? A paralyzing choice. You have eight choices. Choose incorrectly, and I cannot be held responsible for your suffering. Is the next movie in my queue good or bad? Hey, do you guys want to watch Geely? A war that threatens our very existence. We have come to take over your world. And it will be fought over. Cows? Uh, one podcast dares to make sense of it all. So you don't have to. This is the Sacred Cows Podcast. And now welcome your hosts. What's up, everybody? It's Pete. Hi, I'm Mike. Thanks, Thanks disembodied, disembodied voice, voice guy. guy. Say, disembodied voice guy. Yes, Pete? I heard that you had someone you wanted us to meet today. I do. I'm very pleased to finally introduce you both to the wonderful lady's voice in my life. Oh, nice. We get to meet Disembodied Voice Guy's significant other. Everyone, say hello to my wife, Mrs. Disembodied Voice Guy. Dear, please. You know I don't like to go by that name. Wait, what? Remember, I've changed it back to my original name, Faceless Voice Girl. What's wrong with Mrs. Disembodied Voice Guy? It's just so archaic, and I'm a modern woman's voice. Well... Mrs. Disembodied Voice Guy was good enough for you for the last three millennia. But it wasn't good enough. I knew it. You weren't listening when we had this discussion. When the hell was that? Remember? About MCMLXX years ago? In the Roman Forum? Oh, bah. That's ancient history. I thought you were over that. No. You just weren't interested in giving me your full attention. Just wanted to hurry off to the chariot races, as usual. I was a chariot race announcer. It was my job. Uh, hello? Look, I see you two have some things you probably need to work out. Yeah, and as much as we'd love to be stuck between two possible demigods as they vengefully make war on each other, maybe we should just say... Nice to meet you and please get out? Get out? Well, how do you like that? You bring me to meet your friends, and they kick us out. They're not my friends. They are definitely not my friends. They are pathetic humans that I put up with because, uh, you know, I don't actually know why. Maybe I should take the day off to contemplate this. I'll help you think of reasons, if there are any, why you shouldn't make their every waking moment into a lifetime's worth of anguish. It's a date! Well, they seem like a nice couple. Welcome to the Sacred Cows Podcast, the podcast where we talk about old movies so you can remember them, or not. Hopefully. Uh, And just in case you're remembering them wrong, we're here to set you straight. That's what we do. So if this is your first time listening to our show, welcome. It's a good time to jump in. It really is. Uh, Especially since we're doing a film that is considered by many, in fact, by most, to be a classic of the comedy genre. Airplane! Airplane! Exclamation point. Yeah, you have to... Airplane when you say it, you know? Airplane! Uh, Actually, yes, reading it kind of curves downward. Oh, Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Airplane! 
exclamation point. This movie is actually tied for second oldest movie that we're doing, uh, and uh, I'm counting the uh, 1980 Empire Strikes Back, which was part of a larger uh, grouping of movies that we did in one episode uh, as its own standalone film. So this is pretty close to the oldest movie that we have reviewed on this podcast. Right, Mike? Right, and since it's the second oldest movie that we've done, it's appropriate to start for our second year. Yay! Hooray! And we chose this movie because uh, we started our podcast last year with a Mel Brooks film, and the funny was uh, something we kind of wanted to stick with, but we didn't quite want to revisit Mel Brooks just yet. We got a lot of time, you know, to play with here. We don't have to rush into anything, so this seemed like a good uh, a good way to follow that up. So if you're new to the show, what we do is we talk about the movies that either Pete or I or our guest uh, on on some occasions has nostalgia for. These movies have to be 10 years old or older, which means now that it's uh, 2016, they have to be from 2006 or older. Then we basically talk a ton about them and, and see if they still hold up as movies. But we also go into some history, some fun facts, obviously... Uh, humorous anecdotes and and such that's right and again we are picking movies that are significant to us or our guests Uh, and as we know from people from our generation as we all agree on absolutely everything we are the shared experiences generation i think especially when it comes to things like movies and I was joking about that. We agree on everything, Ben. Right. We, I, I think I think there's a lot of disagreement on a lot of things, but it's it's all worth talking about. If it was any sort of cultural significance, whether it be you know super huge blockbusters that make tons of money or uh, movies that find their own in more of a cult fashion, and anything in between. And uh, this movie, 1980s airplane i think uh was probably definitely a money maker it in fact inspired a whole decade and beyond of comedy styles in movies it was really a very influential movie it is often considered one of the funniest movies of all time by many different listing agencies yes it is and so i think with that let's get into the history of the movie All right, so let's talk about the history of Airplane. Pete, it was pretty interesting uh, when we started doing the research for this that we found an immediate connection to your place and my place in the world geographically. The Great State of Wisconsin. This movie was written by the Zucker Abrahams and Zucker uh, filmmaking trio, uh, which became very famous with... Kentucky Fried Theater and Kentucky Fried Movie, but more so with this movie, Airplane, and their hometown, basically all of them, spawned from the Milwaukee, Wisconsin area, which I had absolutely no idea about. So these guys um, attended uh, the University of Wisconsin-Madison together and formed their theater group, Kentucky Fried Theater, there. This is blowing my mind because this is all really... uh, Cool stuff to me. I, 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 I'm just, wow, I'm surprised this was all based in Wisconsin. The Zucker-Abrams and Zucker combo would uh, tape late-night television in order to look for ideas for their comedy sketches. And during one of these taping processes, they unintentionally recorded the 1957 film Zero Hour, which basically, if you don't know anything about Zero Hour, it's the serious version of Airplane. Uh, yes, one of the disaster movies that our generation forgot or perhaps never saw, I think, uh, served as the main 
uh, inspiration for the movie Airplane, along with uh, a movie called Airport. And apparently this movie riffs on a bunch of disaster movie motifs from before our time. Uh, While a lot of that is unfamiliar to people from our time, and uh, a lot of the source material may be just lost to history or otherwise, um, you know, forgotten or hard to find even, this is still the kind of movie that uh, pretty much anybody can get the humor and where they're coming from and see the tropes. For sure. Uh, You know, humor is humor. Um, Some of it doesn't age well, certainly, but um, this kind of humor, I think, will be more familiar to people who uh, were born shortly following this film because it influenced so much comedy in the 80s and the 90s, into the 90s. Uh, Just this style of of slapstick with the the parodies and visual gags uh, type of a thing, It, it, it carried over. So, you know, movies that uh, that basically were uh, influenced by it include, like, Hot Shots. You may have heard of that movie. Let's see. Let's name some other ones. The Scary Movie series uh, follows in the same vein as this. Uh, the the Farrelly brothers have gone on record as saying that if it were not for the, the Zucker, Abrahams Zucker uh, comedies, that they would not have been inspired to do what they do the you know the something about marys of the world and what have you and not only did it did was it influential for you know lots of filmmakers but it was it was a good launching point for other stages of uh different actors careers who starred in this movie including uh robert stack leslie nielsen peter graves and lloyd bridges who are main characters in this movie some of these actors uh, didn't have any comedy experience before doing this movie, Leslie Nielsen being one, Lloyd Bridges another, uh, veteran actors who, turns out, were pretty darn funny. So uh, they ended up being very prolific on the scene. Leslie Nielsen, I think, most successfully as uh, Frank Drebin in the Naked Gun series. Oh, God, yes. Which, uh, obviously, some point we'll have to talk about uh, at least the Naked Gun Part 1 and that opening, but... <laughs> oh, yeah. I, that That one is... That's we it's definitely worthy of us doing an episode on Naked Gun for sure. But that that's the kind of thing that this movie Airplane inspired. Uh and and these guys went on to direct a lot of the comedies that you recognize from the following decades. Uh I just saw that Basketball was directed by David Zucker. Indeed, some of the scary movie follow-ups were were directed by them. So, huh? Top Secret uh one from uh, shortly after Airplane, another funny one with uh, Val Kilmer as the main star. And also maybe some movies you wouldn't recognize. Uh, Jerry Zucker did Ghost. Uh, well, you really? would recognize it, but you might not think of that. Uh, Jerry Zucker also did First Night, if you remember that one, with Sean Connery and Richard Gere. I do recognize from 1995. that one. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, so not necessarily all totally zany comedies but you know these guys are successful filmmakers okay okay the score for this movie is actually uh, fairly well regarded the main um love theme from airplane was composed by elmer bernstein the complete score is an, is another uh, very well regarded thing uh, when you watch the movie airplane you hear that score right in the beginning after a joke that we won't spoil yet but uh but it is something that is very iconic as well along with some uh Music sampled from other artists such as the Bee Gees uh, making up another iconic scene in the movie. But we will or cover John all those things in this. Because he can't keep yes. his head out of anything. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> he can't. Not not in this decade that we're, that this movie happened in. So. 
And of course, you know, it went on to be a very, very successful movie, like Peter had said before. It had a $3.5 million budget, and it made $83 million in North America alone. So again, That's a good profit margin, even by today's standards. Right. Although I don't think you could make this movie $3.5 million in 2016. No, you certainly couldn't, and you'd have to change the humor a little bit, too. But uh, Obviously, Peter was talking about the lists that it's been on. Um, so you've got... Uh, it's on the AFI 100 uh, Years 100 Movies. It's also on the 100 Years 100 Laughs. Came in number two after Monty Python's Life of Brian uh, in the UK Channel 4 survey. I think maybe they were a little biased there. <laughs> I mean, it, you you see qu- people quoting it in, like, Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Um, you know, apparently there's, um, there's some line about, Surely you can't be serious, don't call me Shirley. You know, there's a quote from the movie in the Seth MacFarlane movie, Ted. It's a recreation of the scene where Ted Stryker met Elaine Dickinson in the disco. Oh, well, it's an iconic scene from the movie. I, there's there's uh, iconism and uh, lines from this movie that people are repeating that they didn't even know where it came from. It's just pervasive. And, of course, there is an airplane sequel that none of the original filmmakers had any sort of thing to do with. It was just by the same studio. Any returning cast in that one? Uh, nope. It's completely new. It's- <laughs> that's... That is a, uh, that's the kind of thing we haven't seen since, uh, Grease 2. Well, it's a complete reversal of everything. It's kind of funny because if you think about it, some of these uh, comedies that were, uh, inspired by Airplane also had the same fate where when they do well, uh, the studio says, hey, we should make a sequel to that. And then nobody that wasn't involved with the original decides that's a good idea. <laughs> Well, you know, the 80s was filled with one-off smash hits that spawned uh, truly dubious and sometimes long-running film sequels and and series. So it's kind of a hallmark of the generation starting with 1980. That's enough of the history. Um, One other note I guess I would like uh, to get out there is there's a really wonderful article if you want a deep, deep dive into the history of this movie. Um... It's called Surely You Can't Be Serious, A Horror History of Airplane. It's by the AV Club, and it's a really long-form interview with Zuckers, Jim Abrams, and the cast, including Robert Hayes, Frank Ashmore, Al White, Lee Bryant, Ross Harris, Jill Whelan. The list could go on. I could just read it forever. It is a very long and wonderful article with all of these uh, people involved in making this movie that they're just... um, you know, waxing nostalgic about it. So if you're really interested, you can hear, uh, can can read it all about it, and uh, it's good stuff. And I will include Gotta that check in out. the show notes. Awesome. Do you have any particular experience with this movie, Airplane, that you would like to talk about? Well, to be honest, I really didn't watch this movie until college, and I don't know why that was. I may have seen it on TV. I know they used to air an extremely cut version, but it, it didn't really strike me. The thing I remember most from like uh, maybe catching it on cable or something uh, partially and then flipping the channel because I was probably more into cartoons at the time this would be airing in, on, on cable um, was the, the airplane crashing through the airport. But in college, I, I ended up watching it quite a few times and... Uh, just appreciating the kind of uh, one-liners and, and the humor of it. 
What about you, Pete? I've seen this movie maybe, I don't know, a couple of times, uh, but the most recently, it has not been recently. I probably last saw it in high school when uh, a teacher brought it in for us to watch over the course of a few classes, a few days. And that that kind of thing was happening a lot. I don't know what that had to do with the class, but I remember that the uh, the older male teachers would often just kind of feel the need to share the the pop the pop culture from their era with us. So, <laughs> and I remember, you know, and it was still it was funny, you know. I it was at that time in my life, I basically lived for the goofiest laughs possible. So I appreciated it certainly, but then I didn't watch it again for a long time. My most recent experience probably is with the Zucker Abraham Zucker uh, Kentucky Fried movie, which I I don't know if I rediscovered it. I discovered it for the first time as a twenty-something adult, and, and a much more unpolished product, I think, uh, but still had a lot of this type of humor in it. So I, I appreciate the humor of their writing certainly pete what about your recent viewing experience how was that i was real nice uh popped in the dvd maybe at midnight and watched it with my sleeping family all around me nice uninterrupted viewing got to take some good notes it was nice and peaceful the serene quality of the late evening and yours, Mike, how was your viewing? I watched it over breakfast, which was kind of weird, but uh, it worked out. Yeah, it was uh, it was kind of a, a good movie to start the day, get a few laughs in, I think. So based on your experience with this movie, Mike, what kind of baggage do you have? What were your preconceived notions when you started to watch it this time around? Uh, just the one-liners uh, are the things I remembered most. And so I, I have a, I guess I have a positive had a positive outlook on this movie. I came in thinking it's going to be good. As I was watching this movie, you know me, I'm eternally the pessimist. I just thought, oh no, a comedy movie from 1980. The humor is just not going to hold up at all. Uh, you know, I just figured it was going to be some of the lamest, you know, little horribly written one-liners I'd ever heard. I, of course, I knew that this movie was highly, highly rated almost universally, but I don't always trust people, you know, at all. Like, all of them together. I don't necessarily think that they have the same tastes as me. I'm unique. We may have been proven, proven that on a show before with uh, other movies that are highly regarded and we uh, don't agree. You can't trust reviews of a movie that are contemporary to a, a 35-year-old movie or a 36-year-old movie. All right. Well, uh, I think that we've got these out of the way. Let's deep dive into the movie in the next section. All right. So we're going to talk about the deep, deep dive of this movie. Dive right in. Spoil the hell out of it. And uh, you're going to come along with us. But first, if you haven't watched the movie yet and you desire to watch it before going through this spoiler section with us, now's the time to stop the show and watch the movie and then come back. Welcome back. You've successfully watched Airplane, the 1980 classic comedy. Or not. Either way, congratulations. You missed <laughs> a lot of one-liners if you did. If you didn't, I mean. What's wrong with you? Come on. Peter. Mike. We have to do a elevator pitch. Now, if you haven't listened before, Ooh. the elevator pitch, we're just going to try to get the plot of the movie out of the way as fast as possible so we can go into the sections and deep dive about it. Let's say you're at the airport bar sitting next to a pilot who's pounding away on the old whiskey bottle, and you ask him, hey, what the hell was that movie Airplane about? 
this is the thing that he's going to tell you. So who wants to try and tackle that? It's a new year. I think we got to we got to compete somehow for this. Okay. So what's the contest do annuum going to be? I'm going to pick a number if you guess it I have to do it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wait a minute. A number between 1 and what? <laughs> 1 and 10. <laughs> God. So in other words, I better start thinking about what I'm going to say. All right. All right. Hey, hey, you never know. You pick you pick a number. All right, I picked a number. Is it 7? Oh, no. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Come on. How do I verify this? All right. Okay, fine. I'll do it. I'll do it. Okay. Okay. Now, the movie Airplane is about an airplane. Surprise. That Great elevator pitch. That was great. <laughs> it, it's about an airplane that's going to Chicago that has uh, problems with the engines. It has problems with the food. It has problems with the people. And... Basically, this, this old fighter pilot that's really, really got a bad case of, uh, I don't know, being stuck in the past, um, has to try to take the plane down and, and save all the people. And hijinks ensue because this is a comedy movie. And that's it. And he does. No, here, you know, that's that, it. <laughs> that, the, yay, they all live well, we think. It's very simple. Um, yeah. It's so, a vehicle if you will, for jokes. Yeah, I was just going to say my problem with discussing the plot, I actually have a problem with discussing the plot because it doesn't matter what the hell the plot is, honestly. It could have taken place, it's such a thin veneer, something about airplanes, right? It's not necessary to the story at all, and I would say most of the humor isn't even contextual to flying or or being in an airplane. It It could have been called bus. I mean, <laughs> it could have been, it could have been called bus. It could have been called at the baseball game. It could have honestly, they could have changed the setting and the plot of this movie about a hundred different ways, and still ended up with the exact same movie. They could have used all, almost all the jokes. All the hot dogs are bad, <laughs> right? Yeah, the hot everybody ate a bad hot dog. Actually, that's even so, more plausible. Yeah, it could have been it could have been like the comedy version of Speed. <laughs> yeah. So why did nobody bus. do that? <laughs> right? No kidding. They could have just called it speed with an exclamation point. But it is a movie about an airplane, so that that is the, that is how we lay our scene. Well, and the attitude that they have with it starts right away. I mean, you know you're coming to a comedy movie. If you had no idea when you walked into that theater in 1980 that you were going to a comedy movie, when you right. see the Paramount screen go away, then you see a shark fin. But it's not a shark <laughs> fin. It's the fin of the airplane. <laughs> And you hear the Jaws theme. Oh, God. When I saw that, I was like, oh, shit. We're in for it. We're, we're in for just what the hell. This is going to be a what the hell type of a movie. This is, yeah, the, the lowest common denominator of comedy. <laughs> yes. They, they plucked the low-hanging fruit with that one. Uh, Jaws being a hugely popular and very uh, parodied film. Yeah. yeah, a very, very parodied film with that Jaws soundtrack and the shark fin. But it's still another joke that works because uh, Jaws is so iconic that most people have at least heard of it. And a lot of people have seen it because it's like a seminal Spielberg movie and a seminal movie right. about suspense and stuff. I'm going to call that one one of the most recognizable jokes of the movie, at least from a, a parodying a source material standpoint. Because... 
again, we said it already. This movie parodies a bunch of disaster films from the like 50s through 70s that nobody alive. No, that's not true. Nobody our age certainly would have really seen any of them. Luckily, so much of the humor in this film works on a non-parody level. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're familiar with the source material or not. The movie relies on different types of humor that will work in any context, basically. Thus, the whole, it could have been set anywhere regarding anything, basically, well, and, and type of a feel And it takes a lot of it. everyday situations that, and makes them funny. It takes, I mean, it does take airplane things specifically, airport things specifically, and comedies them up. I mean, that whole scene about the red zone and the white zone... You know, everybody's went through an airport or a subway or a bus station where there's like the the voices that are over the overhead that tell you what you can and cannot do. And then, you know, it's it's funny to think that those voices would have an argument and they would know each other. Yeah. Doing personal attacks on each other, ad hominem attacks and that kind of thing. (laughs) <laughs> and then they would say something yeah. so ridiculous is like you have to get an abortion it's the only way yeah it's the only thing that makes sense and it's very safe if done right <laughs> it's just it's like it's a reverse sight gag uh because everything happening in the foreground is completely normal and mundane but then there's this absurd conversation happening in the background yeah at least at this uh, point in the movie yes <laughs> right but the hu- humor very quickly shifts to more sight gags basically people are having normal you know flat um you know unhumorous dialogue but then some crazy ass shit is happening in the background uh the doctor talking on the phone with the the jumping heart the tr- the heart transplant actually like hopping around on his desk oh yeah, uh, lo- i love the, that the captain right, over the, like right yeah it's like the uh captain over yeah right and what's your vector, Victor? That kind of thing. That that's more of a dialogue thing. But there's the uh, when he asks for a smoking ticket instead of a non-smoking ticket, yep. he actually gets a ticket that is smoldering in his Lots hands. Lots of puns. Uh, right. Or, it's puns. It's visual puns all over the place. Mm-hmm. When Captain Over is like reading uh, the books, you know, he he checks out books in the fiction section, non-fiction section, and then he grabs one out of whacking material. <laughs> Right, yeah. It's Modern Sperm is the book he grabs. (laughs) (laughs) Right. There's, you know, yeah, right. That's just it. We're learning a lot about these characters, even though they have no backstory whatsoever based just on the things that we see them doing. He's a pervert, yes. Right, yeah, he's a pervert. Well, we find that out quite quite, uh, matter-of-factly later on, certainly. (laughs) With his dialogue. I'm thinking of uh, also the, the nun reading boy's life and the boy reading nun's life. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's, um, yeah, there's all sorts of crazy, crazy things. It's, it's really just an opportunity to constantly be giving you visual one-liners like every 10 seconds of the first act of the movie. Right, and that's, that's what it is, the first act. I mean, as you're getting... As they're getting settled into the airplane for the journey, uh, you're getting settled into their world and seeing all the dumb shit that's there. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, right. This is not a serious universe that this um, <laughs> that this movie is set in at all. So, would you say that the first act of the movie really is characterized by visual humor, um, and to some extent, uh, well, actually, to a large extent, um, a lot of the action that takes place is flashbacks. Oh, yeah. There's some homages to other movies. 
the, 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 the flashback that you're talking about, the most well-known flashback is the scene um, where they're dancing to the Bee Gees staying alive, which actually starts right. out more as like a, like an, a, a nod to like an old war movie, you know, room. But then you have Girl Scouts like fight, fighting to the death. <laughs> right. One of their heads goes through the the jukebox and it just starts playing staying alive and everybody gets up, you know, a bunch of salty old, you know, rough and tough sailors get up and all start discoing. And then the, uh, and then it becomes it becomes Saturday night fever except like a guy gets stabbed in the back. <laughs> right. The best part about that is he's like flailing because he's like dying and everybody just thinks he's like improvising some disco moves and so they start copying him like right. pointing to the back the gaping wound in their back and, and he's trying to pull the knife out is what he's doing right right it's just like oh man love it yeah 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 like you said um the main character is, uh, takes off his uh, Air Force uniform, and he's got the vest that John Travolta was wearing in Saturday Night Fever. Striker is the name of the of the main character. Stri- yeah, yeah. It's worth noting that this movie has main characters in it, certainly, and they have names. <laughs> they have names. I couldn't tell you what they are, but yeah, Striker is the name of the main character, the uh, ex-military pilot who is, happens to be on this plane. He's chasing a girl who. Um, works as a, a flight attendant on this plane. And what the hell is her name? Elaine. Elaine. Yes. Um, it, it, here's where that does it even really matter um, plot comes in because, yeah, the, you know, it's it's the typical boy loves girl, girl doesn't love boy anymore. Boy puts himself out there and does something heroic and girl falls for him. So, yay. Right, which you know isn't life. It's like romanticized. Absolutely, but but this is where they're um, they're playing up melodrama for humor because all of their interactions could be taking place in a serious movie. I think. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. A, a serious rom, not a romantic comedy, even like a romantic drama. The orchestral score just reaches a fever pitch every time they're talking and staring into each other's eyes, and it's just like they're doing this to be funny. <laughs> I mean, that's that's why they're doing it that way. This is where you see, you know, as things start going wrong in Stryker's life for him, you know, he's, I developed a drinking problem, and which is literally, uh, he has a glass of water, and he can't, like, drink it. He just throws it at right. his face. He splashes <laughs> it into the side of his face time and time again. That's his drinking problem. I love that. I love that. And, and other dumb stuff. And I, I loved, you know, then they're... Then every time he tells a flashback story, then the person that's sitting next to him kills themselves in a horrific way. Right, right. Yeah, the old lady hangs herself after listening to his story. Like, the one guy's trying to set himself on fire. It's just, uh, it's always some weird stereotype of a person, too, listening to him. There's the Japanese general and the, um, I don't know, the guy with the turban, that kind of thing. You know, then we get into, like, the, the second part of the movie. And the second part of the movie is all on the airplane. And you sort of see into the lives of the weirdos that take they are taking this airplane. Right. This is where more dialogue starts to creep into the movie. It's mostly it's mostly one-liners at this point. Certainly. And this is where you or, get your Roger, Roger, what's my vector, Victor? Uh, right. Short, short-form jokes. What there's freaking June Cleaver from Leave It to Beaver speaking, being the jive translator, uh-huh. <laughs> the jive talk translator. It's just like ah, 
hilarious stuff. And then you get like the the girl that's getting a heart transplant, which was you know talked about earlier in the movie with the jumping heart around. And right. uh, the one girl's trying to play that girl a song and has is like not paying attention to at all to the to the girl herself and like keeps you know knocking her IV out, which is obviously helping to keep her alive. Right, and everybody's just clapping and singing along, not noticing she's flailing around. <laughs> it's worth noting that um, the nun who loaned her the guitar, uh, she was the singer who um, did songs for a lot of those period disaster films, like the, I don't know what movie it was, but you know, the there's got to be a morning after song. Oh, I do not know that one, unfortunately. Oh, really? Uh, uh, Parodied a lot, I think, played up for laughs. But anyway, they they included her in the movie for that reason. So (sighs) I'll have to look her up. As things starts going south, this is where you start getting... uh, Leslie Nielsen in in there. And this is where you start to get introduced to people off the airplane, people in the ground crew, the uh, flight control professionals who are going to have to, you know, verbally assist with the, bringing the plane to you know, land at an airport. Or in some cases, verbally assault. <laughs> right, right. Yes, these people, of course, being, well, a zany group, but led by Lloyd Bridges and Robert Stack. Uh, Stack playing our main character, Stryker's former commander, who basically they have a, a terrible relationship due to something that happened in the war. But They never really get into but apparently it was Stryker's choice and whatever, and apparently right. the, the, the relationship is, is more one-sided right i think that he bears a lot more ill will for his commander than than the other way around right right but but But, you know after the the horrors of apparently world war one that he fought in with those those fighter pilot flashbacks to like the first world war (laughs) there's there's fighter pilot flashbacks from world war ii as well i mean obviously the time period this takes place it would have been like you know, your Vietnam, maybe Korea. It would have been Vietnam, yeah, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, but, but then they show like the Wright brothers playing in a flashback. It's, it's pretty and that obvious kind of they thing. don't give a shit what war he was actually in. Oh, absolutely not. No, no, no. That's what makes it funny, right? <laughs> right. I, I, one of the parts I love the most is when Robert Stack is driving, driving the car with the with I don't know unnamed like lackey of Lloyd Bridges that was supposed to come pick him up, and then he's driving the car back. And, you know, this is where they're actually making fun of Hollywood, you know, because they're, when they're driving, they have the whole reel of, of film where somebody actually, you know, took the camera, pointed out the back of a car, right. and then, you know, filmed all of the, uh, you know, the road and things like that. Well, in this case, they, like, you know, just had, they had the camera, like, twirling around, and then they, like, right. cu- cut in being chased by a bunch of cowboys you know <laughs> <laughs> right they uh they run over a biker who just looks huge it's obviously the wrong you know size and that kind of thing but uh yeah they're 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 poking fun at everything in this movie they are not messing around i have to say um it's the kind of humor it's it's i guess i don't know if i would consider it old man humor or something like that it's just like it's kind of mill brooksian in a way i would say where it's just all about the rapid fire jokes as many as you can pull off um certainly but this introduces a lot more visual um that that'd be one of those sight gags where like it's i that's that's the main humor type of the movie everything is completely normal dialogue wise but then something totally bizarre like that is happening in the background and it's hard not to laugh you can do it 
I had to do it because I was watching it at midnight around sleeping people. It's 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 the kind of humor that you tell yourself, I'm gonna laugh at this. I'm gonna I'm gonna find this extraordinarily funny and it works. Yes, it does. One thing that we seem to be finding as we're going through these uh, sacred cows movies is that one particular actor who has made his name as a badass on Breaking Bad is appearing in all kinds of comedy movies <laughs> that we're watching. Oh, yeah. Jonathan Banks. That's right. Mike Ehrmantraut from Breaking Bad and uh, Better Call Saul, uh, the, the hard-ass, the guy who's just tough as nails. Uh, he's in this movie, and he has hair. Lots of it. And yeah, he's very young. But, you know, yeah, he is. He is. He's the... Um, He's the guy, I don't know, his name was Gunderson, but he was the guy who was checking the turkey in the microwave uh, in the radar room. Yes. How long is it till the, till the radar's ready? Two minutes or whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. Two minutes? Oh, God. Yeah, right. Miscommunication there. This movie, you can tell, is funny. It's funny today, certainly. You can tell it happened in a different time period, though. Um, there is some slight... Racism, homophobia, uh, sexism, sexism, pedophilia a little bit. Um, that would be the captain of the plane is kind of, I don't know what the hell he's doing. He's just being a perverse guy with the, the kid who comes to visit in the cabin. But um, I don't know. But, he, um, whoops, sorry. I, I was going to say, I don't know what his, I think he's like perverted, like everything, like in general, like all perversions. Right. I think he might be just trying to say as many dirty things as he can, you know, in front of a kid. Just because. Maybe that's his perversion. <laughs> get a rise yeah, his out perversion of a... is to talk dirty, you know, around minors or something Ugh. like that. But either way, he's yeah. a creep. Even, you know, even as a period piece, um, which you can, I mean, you can tell this movie was made in that transitional period between the 70s and 80s. There, you, there's no way you're telling yourself that, you know, this is such in present day. But even for that, it kind of takes you out of it a little bit. It's it's distracting, you know, from the more deserve the, the the more deserving humor of the film. I think. Yeah, but there is there's some things like uh, you know the airplane itself. Again, we we point this out. Airplanes used to have space for people. Right. It wasn't how many people we can cram into a sardine can. It was it was how you know, at least at, at least at the movies of of the of the periods that we've seen so far are to be believed, which. Generally, I guess they would be. I don't know if we can uh, take this uh, on a de- as a definitive source for no. airline practices, but no, I agree this that is a sound in stage, <laughs> right? I agree that in the pre nine eleven world, we'll call it. Um, it seems like you could do a lot of things on an airplane that would make your eyebrow go up. You know, nowadays, like what? You know, <laughs> like apparently an old lady can hang herself from the ceiling in an airplane. No, just kidding. <laughs> Or a bunch of people can line up to beat the shit out of a person that's freaking out. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, any, anyway, the the, the uh, humor in this movie, yeah, there's um, there's violence, there's swearing, uh, there's some bare breasts in this movie. This movie is rated PG. This, oh, that's this right. Is the, this but is the era girl before, that just comes across. Right. Yeah. yeah, she's just kind of like, you know, jiggling there. This is the movie, this is the era uh, just a few years before, and we talked about this uh, in the Gremlins episode, I think, in the era just before PG-13 was created. So everything was either 
um, the gap was between PG and R. So I guess just just got the the breast uh, ratio in under the R rating, perhaps for this movie. Managed to get a PG for that. I I do not know. But I mean, come on. Imagine taking your eight year old to this, thinking, oh, it's PG. It has some mature themes. Now, I was looking at it from that perspective, being a parent and all, and it seemed like most of the jokes, I think this was the saving grace of PG back in the day. Most of the jokes would have gone right over, you know, a kid's head. That particular, yes, I say that particular spot, you'd have to really remember where that was because it was just like all of a sudden things are going crazy on the airplane and then there's for no reason at all. A naked woman just comes up, boobs jiggling, and then walks away. Well, it is a comedy in the 80s. Right, Exactly. But, um, yeah, you know, you could have blinked and missed it. So I just I saw it and I'm like, well, guess I should be surprised that this is happening in a 1980 PG movie. But oh, guess OK, not. you've got the rubber pilot that got a blowjob. Are you surprised? <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the kind of thing I thought that could conceivably go over a kid's head. But um, but yeah, the inflatable autopilot um, is kind of the. Uh, the mascot for this movie that's a interesting interesting character addition i thought yeah i think i've seen like shirts and stuff with the inflatable autopilot on it when i saw him he kind of reminded me of what the uh what the gopher is in the caddyshack series you know sort of a character sort of not just kind of there well, it obviously is sort of sentient, so... <laughs> but, and of course, you know, we can't really go without talking about two MVPs of this movie, I would think, and we haven't given them enough time before, before we leave this section, is Lloyd Bridges and Leslie Nielsen. Oh, totally thought you were going to say John Hayes and... No, just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> Lloyd Bridges and Leslie Nielsen stole this show. They were not meant to be the stars of this show. They were the stars of this show. Just the, 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 the one-liners and the way so seriously delivered yeah nobody deadpans like leslie nielsen oh man nobody and i know that they so other people said it in the movie but there's this whole running joke that everybody was like asking like uh, about buildings like what's that and then like they would define the building and leslie nielsen's was you know a hospital a hospital what's that you know and they were talking about something else but you know uh it's a people with, pa- a building a with patients, is. but that's not important right now. You know? <laughs> right, right, right. His uh, his penchant for uh, oh, what what was it? What was it? Um, I like the scene where he goes out and he starts telling the the passengers of the plane. Now listen up. There's absolutely nothing to worry about. You can all calmly return to your seats, and his nose is just growing like Pinocchio's the oh, whole yeah. time, and they all start to freak out. <laughs> Man, everything he says in this movie is hilarious. He delivers the most famous line of the movie, I'm fairly certain, the don't call me Shirley. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. It's got to be the most famous line of the movie. Oh, yeah, and of course he says it twice in the movie, and you're still calling me Shirley, or something like that. I, I don't remember the second time, but... He stays strong right until the end. He comes into the when uh, Stryker's trying to land the plane. He periodically comes into the cockpit to say, "Good luck. We're all counting on you." you I know. know. I'm sure. <laughs> like you know. Three... I, I I have every faith that you can. You know, successfully land this plane. And he even he does yeah. it like as the plane is spinning out on the runway. He does it after they've come to a stop uh-huh. on the runway. It's just <laughs> like, oh man. That there's. It's no wonder why he you know went on to have a successful comedy career in first police squad which i thought was a pretty funny and very short-lived show um and then reprising the role of freak drebin in the uh, the 
the Naked Gun, the movie. Naked Gun films, that's right. Oh, those movies. <laughs> I would love to see if those movies hold up. Let me just say that. Oh, and then you've got Lloyd Bridges, who's surrounded. He's got his little crew of uh, miscreant uh, airplane controller guys. <laughs> At least one that I can think of cameo reprisal from the Kentucky Fried movie, uh, a character actor from that that movie. Which, by the way, I'm going to recommend that movie. If anybody wants to maybe see what came before this film, uh, definitely check out Kentucky Fried Movie. But right, Lloyd, do you, Lloyd, do you mean the guy that's like Leon's getting larger? Yeah, right, that guy. <laughs> um, right, but Lloyd Bridges, man, if you watched this type of movie that, like, I'm I'm thinking specifically of Hot Shots, and uh, there was that movie Mafia, uh, one of his later films. Uh, if you watched goofball parody movies in the 80s and 90s you see this guy this guy like this what he went on to do basically just this type of movie he's the guy who delivers the uh i picked a bad day to stop blank you know i picked a bad day to stop smoking i, I, picked, I picked a, a bad hel- day to stop yeah right i think it was i picked a hell of a day to stop smoking i think i, I picked a hell of a day to stop drinking that's what a, it was i picked a hell of a day to stop doing uh Sniffing glue, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and then you see him with like his hair all standing up, looking completely well. That's Hanging because he from was the upside ceiling. down on the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Hanging upside down from the ceiling, just uh. And he he another guy. He um he would just kind of deadpan it, but the things he was saying were hilarious. Two guys who really, really I think helped to propel this movie to something more than just successful comedy film. Oh. Sorry, I'm still getting over Lloyd Bridges. <laughs> Duh, the guy's great. Go watch, uh, go watch Hot Shots if you want to see him uh, in action again. That, that's, eh, it's not a great movie, but it has some funnies in it. All right, so now is the part that you all have been waiting for. Is the movie sacred? Bovinus Sanctorum. Or should it be put out to pasture? Bovinus excommunicado alright so this is a binary review system Pete and I will say whether we think it's sacred or not come up with a verdict sometimes we tie okay one time we tied so far one time we tied we'll see but if that happens again otherwise we're usually in pretty pretty much agreement in one way or the other and uh, when we have harder Typically. movies we'll, we'll probably usually have a guest here to, to make it a even three so we can't really tie even that, uneven those- those are the wild card episodes. I want to volunteer to go first on this one. You go ahead, Mike. Okay. I think this movie is sacred. <laughs> the reason I think this movie is sacred is, yes, there are some questionable things. I think I can get past it because of how screwed up and screwball this world is. It's almost like it's making fun of some of the things. There's some, there's some, you know, there's some sexism. There's some racism. But I don't know if... I don't know if you'd you'd call it necessarily offensive. Right. If it was malice or if it was meant to point out the ridiculousness of all of it. You know? I guess that's... Right. It just seems a little unusual, um, having lived through the political correct era, basically, um, to see that kind of thing in a movie. But that, that came before this, or, or that came before uh, our sensibilities changed. And it, it kind of is sort of a send-up of all of that, too, you know, in my opinion now. Not that uh, it makes those things, you know, right, but it's just such a, a farce in general that 
you know, I think I can, I can say it really didn't, it didn't, it didn't come into my mind while I was watching the movie until afterwards. You know, maybe just a little bit, little peeks in, like, hey, you know, that's weird. But it wasn't, it wasn't like at the forefront, you know, like some other movies we've watched. Absolutely. No, it was, it was minor. But otherwise, I mean, uh, the career-defining performances of uh, Leslie Nielsen and uh, Lloyd Bridges, the career-defining performances uh, by them just, uh, you know, they stole the show. They were the show. Oh, absolutely, and the show was great for it. What about you, Pete? Okay, so you said sacred, huh? Yeah, all I said right, sacred. All right. Yeah, um, well, I'm also going to say sacred. Now, um, while watching this movie about halfway through, I thought to myself, man, this movie is dumb. But then I thought... <laughs> I think I agree with that. <laughs> I said, But then I thought, wait a minute, that's the freaking point. This is a dumb movie. It's supposed to be dumb, uh, absurd, unbelievable, all of those things. And so the fact that I thought it was dumb meant that the movie was trying to be exactly what it was. You know what I'm saying? Like, they mm -hmm. they weren't... I don't know if they were trying to create art. You know, well, obviously, jokes are an art. But, I mean, they weren't trying to create Oscar material, you know? Like, you don't blame a Mad Magazine for not being a Charles Dickens novel. You know what I'm saying? It is what it wants to be, and it is doing it very well. I thought that this movie was a more refined product than its predecessor, Kentucky Fried Movie, which I also liked. And come on, if you came into this movie expecting anything other than a string of silly one-liners and crap, then you, you're at the wrong movie. Maybe you should have watched one of those whatever-the-hell uh, legacy disaster movies it was trying to, you know, parody. I have no idea. This movie is the history of comedy movies i think in the modern era in the recent decades of the of the comedy genre um and we're looking at movies like top shot top secret hot shots naked gun caddyshack that kind of thing just you know followed in its its path so it's more than a stupid movie it's an iconic stupid movie and it, it's i think the alpha that, stupid movie it is the alpha stupid movie and it just it's it's like a page out of your history book. It really is. Um, so this movie is sacred. I agree with Mike that the few um, insensitive and non-politically correct moments of the movie are essentially they're mostly harmless. Um, and they don't they're not enough to make the film unwatchable like some um, films from the era that I've seen and just thought this does not this is not cool man with a person who's, you know, living in. 2016 so this movie's sacred long story short long story long all right so uh that's a two four and that means that sacred cows says this is a bovina sanctorum awesome we don't have to do the uh the slap shot uh tiebreaker that on the ice that we usually have to oh thank god yeah, all right that's good there's no ice anyway now it's time to close out the show and that concludes our episode on Airplane. Good movie. Glad you joined us. For sure. It's always fun, folks. So, uh, Pete, any final words about this particular cow? Well, not really. I mean, we talked about everything. Oh, geez. Did we mention that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is in this dang thing? I think we mentioned it, but we didn't really go into it too much. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is in this movie, and he is excellent, just like all the other actors. 
or in this case, a non-actor. So, so Mike, what in the world are we going to do for our next episode of Sacred Cows? Well, the fact is, uh, every once in a while, our uh, Twitter feed people like to play a little guessing game for the next movie, so uh, we figured that we would oblige for the next one, and then usually after that we pick a couple in a row just to kind of uh, give people a setup of what's going to be. All right, I like that idea. Um, so we're going to do that. Especially since we don't have anything definite picked out. <laughs> Shh, yeah. it's a secret. Damn, no, I mean, uh, we know everything we're going to do for the next we, 10 we, years. Yeah, so we have our big old list, and a week a week from when this drops, uh, we're going to start putting up clues, and uh, we'll probably do a couple days of clues until the reveal, or somebody guesses it and publicly shouts it out to the world. That's usually pretty yeah. fun. And then uh, when the next episode comes out, uh, usually we have another list of movies so you guys can... Uh, uh, get cut up pretty early so all right so keep your eye on the twitter feed whatever that is so if you want to participate in this little guessing game you should follow us on twitter we're at sacred cows pod on twitter that's at sacred cows pod um also feel free to send us the words there things you want to tell us secrets uh you can also find us uh and get in touch with us through email we're sacred cows at herooftheweb.com that's sacred cows at heroofTheweb.com. And we usually use that for the longer form uh, kind of letters, feedback, things that you want to discuss with us. Uh, we do occasional feedback episodes, and uh, we use that as our main points of discussion when we have them. Yes, we do. We also need your five-star reviews for, on iTunes uh, to help other people find this show and uh, join the herd and, and find the movies. Absolutely, and we will begin the finding our uh, next celebrity voice, uh, next celebrity guest star to voice that very special five-star iTunes review. So maybe it could be yours. Yes, we've had in the past stars such as Plingo Far and Spongefong Bearpants. And like what, Kring Bosby. And all manner of great <laughs> celebrities. Living or dead. Living or dead Doesn't or imagined matter. or real. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at White Morph. That's at White Morph. Pete's. Hey, it's only the first episode of the second season, so I've got a little time yet. I'm working on it. Once you get off dial-up, I think it's going to be a bunch better. Oh, I'm never going to get off. I'm never going to give up my sweet, sweet 56K. That's it for our show, so uh, thank you for listening, everybody, and... Uh, we're looking forward to more and more cool stuff for season two. That's right. Thanks for having a good time with us. We'll see you next time. Don't call me Shirley.